Psalm 76 is a jubilant war song of triumph achieved. Again, written by the sons of Asaph, this psalm naturally flows from the miserable conditions noted in Psalm 74. Having expressed their misery, they then rejoiced in Psalm 75, noting that despite calamity, the righteous will triumph and the wicked will be judged. Here in Psalm 76, the focus is on the God of power who causes the righteous to be triumphant, a jubilant war song of triumph achieved. So as we focus on God in Psalm 76, in verses 1 to 3, we're going to see the abode of God, the abode of God. In verses 4 to 6, the acts of God, the acts of God. Verses 7 to 9, the authority of God, the authority of God. And then in verses 10 to 12, the appreciation of God, the appreciation of God. Let's begin with verses 1 to 3 and the abode of God. God is known in Judah. His name is great in Israel. His tabernacle is in Salem. His dwelling place also is in Zion. There he broke the flaming arrows, the shield and the sword and the weapons of war. Selah. Now verses 1 and 2 identify the God who is revealing himself in wrath. God is known in Judah. Now, again, he defines himself by his relationship with his people. He is known in Judah. Judah was the southern kingdom, and he knows them. That word knows indicates an intimate relationship with someone, to have an experience with someone. God and Judah have an intimate relationship. His name is great in Israel. Now, Israel is the northern kingdom. And his name represents his presence, his character, who God is. His character, his presence is great or magnified, glorified, exemplified in Israel. Here, God's greatness is seen in his marvelous deeds. And along with his relationships, God is also defined by his abode, by his place. And his abode is the tabernacle. Where is his tabernacle? It is in Salem. Salem, Jerusalem, as we know from Genesis 14, verse 18. He dwells there on Mount Zion. God is also defined by his place. Again, not only is his abode the tabernacle, but it's Salem. And now his works. Notice his works. What did he do in Jerusalem? What did he do in Zion? What did he do in his tabernacle? He broke the flaming arrows. He broke the shield. He broke the sword. He broke the weapons of war. He defeated his enemies from Salem, from Mount Zion, from his tabernacle. He destroyed all their weapons of wars. Uh, interesting that the, uh, the flaming arrows, the fiery darts, and of course that uh, again reminds us of uh, the, the wiles of the devil that he shoots at us fiery darts. And uh, there's a, definitely an illusion between the physical enemies here that Israel and Judah were facing versus the very real spiritual enemy that we face. And again, where is God now? God is in his temple. And how does God defeat, where does, from where does God defeat our enemy, Satan? From his holy temple. Now this final description leads us into a direct confession of God's greatness in, uh, beginning in verse 4. And let's look at the acts of God in verses 4 to 6. 
the acts of God in verses 4 to 6. You are resplendent, more majestic than the mountains of prey. The stout-hearted were plundered. They sank into sleep, and none of the warriors could use his hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both rider and horse were cast into a dead sleep. Now, he's direct, the psalmists are directly addressing God. They're praising him as being more glorious, more resplendent. Literally, the Hebrew word here, it means the lighted one, the glorified one. His glory manifests itself to the world as visible light. And of course, we're reminded here of the Shekinah glory and how God appeared in the garden uh, after the fall uh, as a flaming sword, as he appeared as a flaming cloud uh, in the Exodus as he led the children of Israel. He appeared as a flame of fire over the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle. And so God appears as light. He is the lighted one. He is the glorious one. And so Light is a sign of the holy God who is something other than what we are. God is more majestic than the mountains of prey. Now, it's interesting, this phrase, mountains of prey, can be taken two ways. On one hand, it can refer to, a, to mountains that are loaded with game to be hunted. But on the other hand, the, the phrase can also be translated as the everlasting mountains, or mountains that endure or are eternal. And again, you know, context usually helps to clarify which direction to go, uh, regardless of whether it's talking about God being more majestic than eternal or enduring mountains, or rather God's more majestic than mountains loaded with prey. Regardless, God is greater than either. His glory, His excellence are seen, how? In his mighty deeds in battle. Notice that the stout-hearted were, were the mighty warriors, the mighty men, were plunder. That word stout-hearted, same term used in 2 Samuel 23, 8, for the mighty men of valor. These mighty men were plundered. They sank into sleep. Uh, the sleep here is eternal sleep. Death is uh, what they've uh, resulted in. The rider and the horse where the chariots have all been destroyed. They've sunk into their sleep. Again, a dead sleep, death, uh, is uh, the, re the result of their battle against God. Uh, they didn't stand a chance. Uh, the God of light dispelled the darkness, and he slaughtered them, and they were utterly destroyed and sent into eternal death. In death, these mighty men have been unable to use their hands. There's nothing they can do. They cannot fight their way out of hell. Now, God's glory has been made known by his acts. Uh, his, his mighty acts here have, have been displayed, and the uh, children of Israel, uh, coming back uh, at now out of exile, uh, are seeing the mighty acts of God and how God has defeated all of their enemies. And because of that, they rejoice. God's glory has been made known in the defeat of his enemies. He plundered them. He took their spoils. As the God of Jacob, he uttered his rebuke. He uttered his mighty words, and they were destroyed. No wonder he is more resplendent, more glorious, more excellent. And we ought to stand in all of him as they did. Here's the children of Israel surveying the silent battlefield. It's littered with corpses, with dead horses, with broken chariots. And they see the mighty acts of God. God indeed is all-powerful omnipotent. And folks, as we turn around and as we see God's mighty acts, 
we should declare the same. We should praise and glorify him for those mighty acts. Verse 7 and 9, we have the authority of God. The authority of God. You, even you, are to be feared. And who may stand in your presence when once you are angry? You cause judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth feared and was still when, you, when God arose to judgment to save all the humble of the earth. Selah. Now, the battle has cleared. The smoke is clearing. They're seeing the horrors of death. And all the psalmist can do is respond with a proper sense of fear. You know, that is to be our response as well. When we see the mighty acts of God, you know, yes, we're going to praise Him, we're going to rejoice, but we also ought to be fearful. We ought to be standing in reverential awe of God. He is God. He is to be feared. And this fear or horror, if you're not in a personal relationship with God, this fear is because you've just witnessed the anger of God. Listen, when God is angry and aims His wrath no one can stand in his presence. And so it is right to have a fear of God. None of us should desire to have God be angry with us. We should not want to be on the receiving end of his wrath. So better to have fear of God so that, and that fear direct and lead us away from doing things that would then put us in the crosshairs of his anger. Now, we need to be very careful that we don't excessively personify God's wrath, okay? God's wrath is not an emotional outburst. God's wrath is the manifestation of his judgment. Now, notice it says here that his judgment was what? Heard from heaven. Uh, literally, the Hebrew word here is heavens. It's, it's plural. Now, it's, it's called a plural of fullness, uh, but it also, from our perspective, reading back through the scripture, we understand that there's those three heavens. There's the atmospheric heaven, there's the stellar heavens, and then there's the divine heavens. There's the uh, heaven where God dwells, as Paul calls it, the third heaven. And so from his throne, from his temple, God speaks, God manifests his judgment. And whenever divine intervention uh, is executed, listen, the earth will respond. Uh, we see that here. There's fearful silence. No one can say nothing when God speaks. You know, when God judges, no one standing in his presence is going to talk back to God. Verse 9 gives us the motive for God's righteous judgment, his righteous wrath. He stood up from his throne to go into battle to judgment or for justice. Why? Who did he go to fight for? To save all the humble. The word humble there is the same word for the poor, the afflicted. The people of the earth. The people who have been oppressed, God is going to take up their cause. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that, you know, when, when the humble are attacked, God stands up. We see uh, that very same thing when Stephen was being stoned and he looked up to God and Christ wasn't sitting there. He stood. Jesus was about to act in judgment on behalf of humble Stephen, who was being oppressed by the wicked. So God comes he executes his act of wrath, his justice. He defeats Israel's enemies. He delivers the poor, the oppressed, the humble. He intervenes and he acts. And when God, again, when God acts, the right response is not only to praise him, but to fear him. You know, as we, as we go through this song 
of a joyful war song, a jubilant war song of triumph achieved. You know, it's not a war song, a jubilant war song of what we have achieved. It's a jubilant war song of what God has achieved. And so we have to make sure that we are giving to God the right uh, praise, but also the right reverence. Now, verses 10 through 12, the appreciation of God. For the wrath of man shall praise you. With a remnant of wrath you will gird yourself. Make vows to the Lord your God and fulfill them. Let all who are around him bring gifts to him who is to be feared. He will cut off the spirit of princes. He is feared by the kings of the earth. You know, we we see the sovereign God. He executes his judgments. That even the wrath of man praises him. Now, see, he's destroying Israel's enemies who have brought their wrath upon God's people. And what, what it means here is that God uses their wrath to, and turns it against them. He uses the evil intentions of the enemy's heart and uses it against them. Ultimately, we can put it this way. What man means for evil, God means for good. God can take the most evil of intention and ultimately use it for his purpose. There is no better example uh, than the cross, where God's grace was greater than our sin. At the cross, the most wicked event ever ever done in human history uh, occurred. And it appeared as Satan had won. The Son of God, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, was put to death on the cross. And yet that was not the end of the story. God took the wicked intentions of people and he turned it around for his glory because that wicked act of crucifixion became the means by which God would save, redeem the world. And so the most wicked act of rebellion, the wrath of man ultimately praised God because God took what they meant for evil and used it for good. See, God is able to triumph over any and all wrath. God wears man's wickedness as a garment, as a trophy. Uh, he has the ultimate victory. And indeed, the ultimate victory will come over sin, over Satan, and over death. Now, what is, the, what is to be the response? How do we appreciate God? Uh, well, the psalmist says here uh, that we're to, first of all, make vows to the Lord our God and fulfill them or pay them. Now, vows are usually promises that people make in times of trouble. Lord, if you, if you do this for me, if you get me out of this trouble, I'll do that for you. Uh, but here, it's a vow made from, because we've been delivered from trouble. You know, and, and, and as believers, we have a vow to make uh, after our salvation. And we see that uh, there in Luke. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. We need to vow before the Lord, yes, you have saved me. And because you have saved me, this is what I'm going to do. And then we must keep that vow. Not only are do we make vows in his presence and keep them, but notice that we're also to bring gifts to him. We're to bring gifts to him. And uh, what, what are we bringing to God? What are we giving to God? Of course, we think about the praise of our lips. Yes, we are to bring pray, the praise of our lips to God. But how about the sacrifice of our life? We're to put, our, we're to put ourselves on as a, to be a living sacrifice, to lay our lives on the altar for God. Are you giving your life to God? Are you giving your lips to God? 
And, you know, these are things that we're to bring to him. Because why? Because of what he's done. He's defeated sin. He's defeated death. He's defeated Satan. This is to be our response. Folks, God's wrath is real. And it is directed against those who oppose him and who oppress his people. And so he, we see here in this psalm that he is an awesome God. But we also have to appreciate his awesomeness. We have to give to God what is due to him, whether it's our vows, whether it's our gifts, let's bring it all to him. Uh, even the prideful rulers of the nations will be broken. And of course, here is here it's eschatological. We're looking ahead to when Christ establishes his kingdom on earth and when all the kings of this world will bow the knee to him and worship him. You know, a fi- just a final thought here before before we close. You know, well, thinking back to the cross, God's wrath was against us. God himself took his own wrath upon himself. When the Son of God hung on that cross, he took his wrath against, that was against us, upon himself. We deserved the judgment, and yet the sinless Son of God took our judgment upon himself. He did that to remove the enmity between us and God. He took that enmity and put it to death. And now we have this gospel, this good news of peace. And so let's rejoice because God's wrath has been against us has been assuaged. But may we be motivated to declare this good news of peace to those who are still at enmity with God, to those who still know are going to experience God's wrath. And let's declare the good news that they can escape that wrath. They can escape the judgment of hell and the lake of fire. And so what is our jubilant war song of triumph achieved? For us today, it is the message of the gospel. Let's go forth and let's sing that song. Let's declare that song. Let's pronounce that song. That God sent forth his son, Jesus Christ, in human flesh. He came to this earth to die for sinners. That's us. We're sinners. We sinned against a holy God. And because of our sin, we are destined for hell and the lake of fire for all eternity. And so we need a Savior. And so what did our Savior do? What did Jesus Christ, the Son of God, do? He died for our sins and by shedding his blood in his death, he was buried. He rose again the third day according to the Scripture. The resurrection demonstrates that God was pleased. The wrath of God was assuaged. And we are no longer uh, uh, the enemies of God, but now his friends and his children. And so that's the song we need to declare. Let's go forth singing and praising God and declaring, Repent and believe the gospel, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Let's pray. Glorious Father, we come to you through the cross of Christ because of what he accomplished on our behalf. And we give you the praise for for who you are. You are a God of wrath. You are a God of righteousness. You are a God of judgment. And Father, you act and you take up the cause of your people. Father, we, we come before you, Lord, and we want to submit ourselves to you. We want to submit to you as our Lord, as our King. We are your people. We are the sheep of your pasture. And so, Father, we want to give back to you because of who you are. We, we want to give you our vows, Father. We want to, uh, we, we want to 
do as Christ commanded, and that is to take up our cross daily and to follow you. We need to deny ourselves, Father, and so I pray to that and you might help us. Father, as as, as, as we think of this, uh, uh, these acts also, Lord, not only uh, our vows but our gifts, Father, I pray that we would continue to uh, sacrifice our life, that we'd give the praise of our lips to you. Father, forgive us uh, for not vowing our vows or keeping our vows. Father, forgive us for not giving our, the gifts to you of our lips and our life. Father, I pray that you would keep us from wickedness, keep us from the evil one, Lord, keep us from those things that uh, displease you. And Father, direct, move us, motivate us to go forth and declare this jubilant war song of triumph achieved. And so, Father, we give you the praise, we give you the glory, and Lord, we anticipate and look forward to that coming day of your Son, Jesus Christ, as King of kings and Lord of lords. To this we pray. Amen.